Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Do you think, like, to carry on with the Star Wars... You know, we got the Jedi, the Remnant, and we got the ghost of Hal Finney, you know, leading us right now. It's his birthday. So happy birthday, Hal Finney, a legend, um, running Bitcoin, and we're still running it today. Let's go. There's People are way too bearish. When Hal was calling in 2009 or 2010, $10 million, uh, $10 million Bitcoin, you know, the markets are way too bearish. Hal was always bullish. And he never sold. Yeah, we'll see him again, man. He's frozen, right? So we'll see him again. We'll talk to him. We cool. I mean, if that isn't the coolest way to kind of go to get to get cryogenically frozen, then I do not know what is. He's a forward thinking guy. So, so Nico, we got two special guests. We got Nico and, um, you know, Phil from Simply Bitcoin with us today. Welcome, fellas. How are we doing today? Happy to be here, man. I'm very excited. Yeah, really appreciate it. This is good stuff. And like I said before, right, on May the 4th. So there you go. The stars are aligning. Yeah, man. What color would, would each of your lightsabers be? Let's start with there. The, the big questions. Fucking red, bro. Be fucking red. No, I'm a I'm a green. I, I'm I'm a green. I'm gonna have to go with orange myself, but you know. What's up, Rob? What's going on, man? Morning. And how you doing, Tomer? What's up, Shane? Hey, good morning. May the fourth be with you. I sense no fear in any in any of you. <laughs> Tomer, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm all right. I'm kind of in and out of the call today. I'm I'm in a medical office, just waiting to take my uh, wife into an appointment. But uh, it's all all good, all good today. What's the big news item other than the fact that it is an anniversary of um, of Hal Finney, his birthday, and uh, I guess the famous May the Fourth thing? People seem to be disturbed about certain news items, which are highly controversial. I'm just trying to stay away from getting sucked into too many of these things myself right now. That's that's exactly what we need to avoid: is is uh, conflict with our neighbors. Right? We need to we need to love our neighbors, not 
get into fights over everything that comes up every day in the news, one day after the next, one week after the next. Wise words, sir. Wise words. Well, we still have to focus on the people attacking freedom, um, you know, all over the world. The title here says World Economic Forum, IMF. And I know the Simply Bitcoin boys um, dig into that stuff, which I appreciate because I feel like not enough people dig into those international organizations. So appreciate you guys. Um, You know, I, I think I'd like to start with a little news about the SEC, about them doubling their division of enforcement to 50 dedicated positions. And if anybody, I kind of put in a tweet, uh, the SEC announced it, and then one of the SEC commissioners replied underneath. And um, let me just kind of pull up this tweet here. I got it uh, linked up in the nest for anybody that wants to check that out as well. All right, yeah, perfect. So in the replies, there's the commissioner, Hester Pierce, an SEC commissioner, says, the SEC is a regulatory agency with an enforcement division, not an enforcement agency. Why are we leading with enforcement in crypto? And I just thought this was an incredible reply from somebody who works within the organization asking, uh, you know, the official account of the SEC, SEC, why are we the ones leading the charge on this? And I think it's a really good question because, you know, Bitcoin itself has been deemed a commodity. And so it would make sense that it would fall under the CFTC. Um, but here the SEC is coming in and acting like it all falls under their, you know, authority. And and they're just kind of grabbing territory here and holding up things like the ETF. And the Hester, Hester Pierce is here, the SEC commissioner, asking why the hell are they the ones in charge? So has anybody got any opinions on this? Yeah. Um, so essentially what's happening is governments are slowly coming to grips with the fact that they so they could regulate anything they can't regulate bitcoin once you're in bitcoin like in the bitcoin ecosystem it their their rules don't apply so like they're like they're kind of in this bartering phase where like essentially they fit like some of them believe they they don't they can some of them believe they don't there's like aggression um there's anger right but they can't really figure it out. So like what they're trying to do is, you know, they're trying to impose the old system on top of Bitcoin and kind of make Bitcoin a Frankenstein of the old system. And it's just not working. And and you see that with, uh, with the, the attacks from the, the, the FATFA, the financial action task force, this unelected bureau that kind of decides what the financial regulation should be for the world. And, um, you know, they, they're like, oh, you know, and you, you hear the rhetoric from European politicians on how they want to ban peer to peer transactions. And the reason for that is because their old rules don't apply. Right. So I suspect, um, you're going to continue seeing kind of this, like, you know, horse and pony show from regulators and whatnot, uh, to try to convince the public that they retain their power, where in reality, uh, Bitcoin gives the power back to the individual. Um, and uh, yeah, they could regulate the on and off ramps all they want. They could demonize self-custody, which I suspect is going to be next. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you can't change Bitcoin because if you could, then it would kind of defeat the whole purpose of Bitcoin. Yeah. Tell me we're having trouble hearing you, buddy. Rob, you got you got a follow up to Nico right there. Follow up and, and maybe a <clears throat> a supplement a supplementary topic. But when you read the uh, the release, actually on the SEC website, I mean, listen, you know, we're we're probably most of us are probably like somewhat biased here, but um, it's very clearly geared towards the uh, the shitcoin community. Um, you know, just you know, in, investigating enforcing securities laws related to crypto asset offerings. I mean, obviously there are, there are no Bitcoin offerings, crypto asset exchanges, lending and staking products, DeFi platforms, NFTs, and stable coins specifically highlighted. Um, so anyway, just just uh, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can hear me, Sam. This time. Tell so, me, I got you. I got you, man. Go for it. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say something kind of similar. It's I think that there's a lot of conflicted interests here. Like Hester Pierce has, and I, and this is speculated, but she's been very favorable towards crypto as a whole in her previous comments. And that when you have directors publicly questioning the committee, it just shows, uh, or the whole agency, it just shows the lack of consensus that they have within there. And there could be well be people who are holders of various instruments, advisors of various instruments. And um, and so we just don't know what's going on, but I don't think we can really count on enforcement here. Gensler, when he was appointed, promised enforcement actions, and it's taken him this long to like get approval to hire a handful of people. So I don't think we're going to be seeing strong enforcement actions. And even if they go to 50 anyways, and clearly they don't have Hester's support, 50 people against 20,000 shitcoins is... You know, it's not it's not going to accomplish much. Good points, man. Uh, real quick, you guys, this is welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, the number one place to talk Bitcoin every morning over some coffee or whatever you're drinking. Um, we're going to talk news. We're going to talk Bitcoin with some of the best Bitcoiners. We got Nico and Phil from Simply Bitcoin here with us today. And so just to carry on with this uh, SEC, you know, I think it's interesting because you know, Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, he's been very clear to kind of separate Bitcoin and crypto. And similar to what Rob was saying, one of my colleagues, Ryan Flynn, had a similar takeaway that it was really focused on crypto specifically. Now, I don't know if the SEC is kind of smart enough not to drag Bitcoin in with this. I'm going to have to wait to see what they do here. Um, but it does read like they are focused on you know, DeFi, NFTs, crypto, these, um, you know, basically centralized companies that uh, launched these tokens or anything saying that they were decentralized. But as the SEC commissioner, Hester Pierce, that we mentioned earlier, said, these are decentralized in name only and can be thought of as unregulated securities. So I think that's maybe why they're going after them, because they, they see these things as unregistered securities. Um, Phil, you got any got any thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that they see them as unregistered securities, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, every single project that came after Bitcoin came with the expectation of value. So it came with the idea that I was going to buy this token and the ecosystem would build out and I would make profit and quote unquote sell it. That's the only goal of a shitcoin. So 
I, I just don't see how it can be seen any other way. Oh, sorry, my dogs are going crazy. But the other piece to this is as well um, is that they know, like the SEC is fully aware that they can't do anything with Bitcoin. So what they need to do is create this moat around the altcoins, right? Where they can create this, this kind of, you know, you know this, uh, this gate, right? That just becomes extremely complex and serves them as we see in the current financial system with stocks and bonds, right? Like you have to go, you have to sign up to a brokerage. Okay, now it's been made a little easier because they need our liquidity. So Cash App lets you buy uh, stock and Robinhood lets you buy fractions of a share. Fractions of a share were only available to big time investors once upon a time, but they need that liquidity. So anyways, I, I just think that we're at that point where they're scrambling. They're thinking, you know what, we can just pretend that we've got control over this. But at the end of the day, the, ecos the Bitcoin ecosystem is just growing out and they can't stop it. And they fully understand that. So I think there's going to be a lot more stories spun and the narratives are about to get a whole lot weirder. Absolutely. What about BJ? You got, you got any thoughts on this, man? Hey guys, I just want to pivot, pivot to something uh, small uh, in the interim. By the way, Nico, Nico, Phil, it's good to see you, boys. Uh, I met uh, Nico at the Miami Bitcoin event and then subsequently went on their show. So, if I just a suggestion, can somebody maybe put up uh, in the nest a link to Simply Bitcoin, their YouTube channel, or one of their platforms, and let's have, help these guys grow their channel? They're great, they're working really hard. And we need to help as many platforms as possible uh, grow their audiences. Uh, so just a suggestion if we can put it up there. Uh, and then, you know, on the topic at hand, as everybody knows, Hester Pierce has been a very uh, strong advocate of Bitcoin before she was at the SEC because she only got to the SEC, if I remember correctly, about three years ago. Uh, there's nobody in government in, uh, with a functioning brain who thinks they can, they can control Bitcoin. That's where you're starting to see politicians all around the world start to talk maybe not entirely favorably about it, but you know they're, they're sitting on the fence. And I think what you're seeing is an attack on the, uh, the world of shitcoins. And the reason is maybe that's going to be the compromise. They're going to allow Bitcoin to function as, as its own ecosystem, but they want the banking sector to control whatever derivatives of Bitcoin will emerge in the market. So the first thing they have to do is they have to get rid of all the shit coins, regulate it to, as, as far as they can, and then they will build the derivatives around uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem, just at least from what I'm seeing, but I could be completely wrong in that. Anyways, listen to Simply Bitcoin. They're great guys. I've been listening for quite a while. And let's, uh, let's help these guys out. Man, thank you so much. That really means a lot to us. You know, we're both, we always say it uh, on, on the show, right? We're just a couple of plebs. We love Bitcoin. We love talking about it. So all of this support is extremely humbling. Thank you. And you guys were one of the most fun podcasts or interviews I've done over the past few months. Like it was, I sat here with my coffee and we just shot the shit and it was great. The vibe was amazing. So, um, and it's very different than a lot of the other Bitcoin uh, podcasts that are out there. So uh, give them a listen, guys. I appreciate that, man. Thank you, dude. Anytime, brother. Thanks, BJ, man. Good words. That's why we have these two up here, man. They're doing great stuff for Bitcoin. You know, moving on to um, 
you know, there's this recent study and kind of talking about Bitcoin adoption, whether it's nation states or or anything of what we're seeing out there. It just seems to be like a rolling downhill, um, unstoppable. And there's this fintech study that estimates 4.4 billion global users will adopt mobile wallets by 2024. And, and to me, that's just an incredibly bullish statement because obviously Bitcoin being so accessible that all you need is a internet connection and a phone uh, to access a money that you can save in doesn't discriminate. It's completely permissionless. And to see those numbers of the, those kind of adoptions, I mean, that's that's bullish to me. And those are the kind of fundamentals that are important to focus on when the when the price is kind of sideways. And um, anybody got any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, look, um, I, I think that we are uh, in terms of, of the price. Right. I think a lot of people had expectations um, for last year, um, especially like Bitcoin, Twitter. Um, a lot of the, you know, the chain metric guys, even though a lot of them are my friends, um, you know, and, and the general consensus was Bitcoin hundred K. Um, what, what a lot of people miss though, is that I think we're entering the, then they fight you stage. Um, and Bitcoin, I think passed one of its biggest stress tests ever last year. Um, which I think, I don't think it's on par with the four cores. But I would say comes at a close second, and that was the Chinese Communist Party banned Bitcoin within its borders, and not too long ago, Bitcoin's hash rate made an all-time high, right? So just Bitcoin didn't care. It decentralized, and not only did it decentralize, it got stronger. Um, so I don't think we've ever seen that as a species. We, we've never seen a migration of that much hardware moving around the world without any coercion, any CEO, any central body telling, telling them to do so. It was just pure profit in, uh, incentive alone. And um, I think that that hash rate drop, which was, and the, the, the coming difficulty adjustment was like 28.9%, largest in Bitcoin's history. Um, it, I think that really caught like it really threw a, a like a wrench in the bitcoin price trajectory um a lot of those miners had to sell um to relocate and you and you you see with the hash rate drop closely after came the price drop um i think that now that the hash rate is making all-time highs um and, and i'm clearly biased in this because you know i'm a miner but i, I think that uh, I'm very bullish in the short term on, on, you know, and I don't speculate. I don't like to talk about the price very much, but I'm very bullish because of that um, in terms of the next year, two years. I, I think we're, we're going to be pleasantly surprised. And, you know, when the price goes sideways or when it dips, um, it's just a great time to accumulate. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's I think uh, I think these are these are there's good times ahead, in my opinion. Shane, what do you think? Hey, I just wanted to say, yeah, uh, you know, Nico kind of said it towards the end as well, something that I was thinking about, which is, you know, the last year I've been talking to as many people as I can, trying to get them onto the, the Bitcoin, um, you know, train. And, um, you know, with, with all the anticipation that it was going to go up quite a bit as well, um, you know, and so I'm actually glad, obviously, that it hasn't because it gives me 
longer to not only accumulate for myself, but for friends and family and others that, that cross my path for them to get in, at, you know, at, at a better price. I mean, I'm going to be buying Bitcoin always. Hopefully people I orange pill as will as well. But uh, yeah, I think now's a, a really uh, amazing opportunity to accumulate before it just goes crazy. Uh, I was going to kick it over to BJ first. I saw his hand up first and then I'll go after him. Okay. All right. So I'll make it quick. Just also in addition, you know, Nico, you're talking about, you know, adoption and, you know, you mentioned quickly price, but you also talked about the whole freedom thing. And, you know, we look, I look at the title of the WF, the IMF and the rest of the communist communist manifesto. Um, we did a spaces on Sunday night. I do one usually every week and DJ Satoshi, who is here, um, in this room right now, always joins and he's helping to bring the newbies on board and keep it things really simple and tell new people why they can answer their, you know, basic technical questions, which always ends up us talking about BTC sessions inevitably. Um, but we had this three hour long, uh, spaces on Sunday night and we didn't talk about price one time. The entire time, it was about freedom, sovereignty, taking control of your money, the banks not being able to freeze you, the government not being able to freeze you out. It was the first time I've been in a conversation where we talked about Bitcoin all night, or at least for two hours of the three hours. And it was just about either basic uh, technical questions and just about the freedom narrative. And I, I think the more people become uh, red-pilled about the World Economic Forum, the IMF, and the type of people that have uh, infiltrated our governments, it's going to be more about that red pill is going to lead to the orange pill through freedom, and the price is going to become less relevant. Like, we all care about the price. It's our investment. We get that. But that is becoming, at least in my opinion, from what I'm seeing, secondary, which is... A great thing, the fact that you can sell this this protocol and this new uh, way of life, you know, finance 2.0, just around the, the narrative freedom. Uh, I think we got to really push that a little bit more. Uh, and that might not be as important uh, or resonate as much with people uh, in first world countries. But I know from my friends who live in third world countries, uh, that really resonates and you know, when you see when you teach people in those countries that you can transfer money from one person to another person and avoid the bank that doesn't allow you to bank with them, that is a strong point of resonance. Anyways, um, if you don't mind, guys, uh, I want to follow up to uh, BJ. Um, so he said something very interesting, and this is something that I've experienced. I've been, you know, educating about Bitcoin for six years now. And uh, one thing that I've always noticed is it's much easier to convince someone or orange pill someone better said about Bitcoin in a developing country than it is in a developed country. In a developed country, the answer is, why does this need to exist? It wastes too much energy, blah, 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 blah. In a developing country, you tell them, hey, money that doesn't need the government can't be confiscated can't be debased and they're like where the hell do i sign up because they adopted um 
out of necessity. And that is the strongest, and that's a much stronger incentive than we have in the West. And another thing that BJ said, which was uh, the freedom aspect of Bitcoin, I think that is by far the number one, the most important thing about Bitcoin, which is what we try on simply Bitcoin. We don't speculate on the price whatsoever, ever. And we try to focus on that, on the peaceful revolution, which is happening in front of our eyes and the freedom that this innate that the freedom that this gives individuals um i saw we will we we played this clip yesterday and nbc nbc news went to cuba and mind you i live in miami so i i i know the cuban experience i i've i've seen it right with my own eyes and um for the first time ever these people are part of the global financial system because of bitcoin like that is absolutely crazy now the thing that worries me, and I think that we're going to have, uh, we're going to win, but I, I th we're going to have a rough patch, is that there's a lot of central planners. There's a lot of bureaucrats that love this power and control. And they fundamentally believe that they can do better than they know better for people's lives. And you see this with the, you know, the pomp of the World Economic Forum and the pomp of some politicians um, they feel like they could do better than the than millions upon millions of individuals making their own decisions, right? And I think that those people, and they're very powerful. Uh, they're in very powerful places. I think that they're going to do whatever it takes uh, to retain that control and that power. And you already see this with the most recent social attack on Bitcoin, which is essentially the whole climate fud. Right. And mind you, it's a very coordinated attack. OK, they're using the same wording and they're advocating for proof of stake, which is really a continuation of the old system. And you see it everywhere. It's worldwide, which is why I really believe it's it's a combined effort. You see it in Europe, right, where they almost ban proof of work. You see it in New York State, where they are banning proof of work. And every single one of those legislations and every single one of those meetings, right, that Congress had a had a had a committee. It was called, I'm quoting here, cleaning up cryptocurrency. They're setting the tone, saying, hey, cryptocurrency is dirty. It needs to be cleaned up. And in every single one of those meetings, they they, they had some, you know, academic advocating for proof of stake. Mind you, proof of stake, they, they Ethereum, which is, you know, fucking shitcoin, uh, they haven't even implemented it yet. It hasn't even been implemented, but they're advocating it. And that makes me believe that it's not so much that these people believe, hey, you know, proof of work is bad for the environment because we know that's not true, right? We know that Bitcoin uses stranded energy or else it would be too expensive. We know that Bitcoin is going to push, uh, green energy innovation because instead of relying on government subsidy, right, it's actually going to make green energy potentially profitable, right? Not to mention the, the, the flared gas people that are turning flared gas into Bitcoin, right? I, I think that these people are doing it because they're scared that they're going to lose power and control over the populace. And they had that power and control through monetary policy. And then Bitcoin is just like, no, I'm not participating in that anymore. And I think that puts the fear of God into these people. And I, I, I and, and I, you know what, Phil and I have been in this privileged position to ha 
cover these events happening on a day by day day basis. And there is a dark storm. There, I see clouds on the horizon, and these people are are willing to willing willing and able to say whatever and do whatever in order to stay in power. And by the way, the World Economic Forum is in their corner, and Phil has a Phil did a great job covering and kind of exposing that as well. And that's the thing that worries me. That's the thing that's on the horizon, and it's gonna be a it's it's gonna be a great battle, and it's not gonna be like kinetic. It's not gonna be bullets. Right. It's it's going to be, you know, winning hearts and minds. Right. So, yeah. That was uh, awesome, BJ and Nico. I, I completely agree, Nico. Uh, that's hard to follow up, but I guess I'll, I'll try and tie it back in. Uh, so while Nico is definitely saying, uh, you know, it's going to be a battle and it's probably not going to be a kinetic one. I, I fully agree with that. Uh, while we're kind of chopping sideways with price and it was funny, BJ was bringing up, they didn't even talk about price for multiple hours. I realized it's been a few days uh, that I hadn't checked the price, which I'm proud of, you know, it's just kind of, I'm in the space, I, I love it. You know, the price is probably the least important thing. And I think Simply Bitcoin does an excellent job of talking about that in the show, even in uh, number time, they always uh, never really refer to price, just the uh, the Russian time, you know what I mean? And uh, I think while the price is chopping sideways like this, it's a great time to learn all the tools that are, you know, out there, you know, privacy tools, learn on running a node, learn on a hot wallet, learn a cold wallet, like setting them up, recovering your Bitcoin. Because uh, to Nico's point again, if when things start to go nuts with as the hash rates climb into new all time highs, if the price really starts to run, as we've seen historically in the past, uh, as hash rate reaches new to all time highs, you know, there could be a run on exchanges. You know, if you have any money on there, uh, I always joke that, you know, any money that you have on exchanges, just assume that's the equivalent of a bank account. And I'm sure BJ has some great stories about Canadian truckers and their bank accounts. So, uh, you know, if your Bitcoin's on exchanges, that's not your Bitcoin. That's the exchange's Bitcoin. If you have money in a bank account, that's the bank's money, not your money. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I need to reiterate that point. But uh, I don't know if BJ wants to add to that or anything. Yeah, um, you know, the whole, the, the idea of having all your, not just your bank accounts, your credit cards, your lines of credit, your corporate accounts, every possible means of, you know, transacting, plus having your insurance canceled, by the way, was another thing. That car insurance was canceled for that period, uh, which was complicated for me because I wrote off my car the day before I broke my ankle. So, you, you know, it's one of those little additional things that government will do and bureaucrats will do just to stab you in the heart a little bit more. And I know Nico from his, you know, cultural background can comment on that uh, more so for sure. Um, but yeah, the other thing is like all of us, I think, try to orange peel regular people in our regular lives on a regular basis. And one thing that I found a while ago worked, and now since Lightning is available, it's got it's so simple. Once you get somebody who's a little bit, you know, now open to the idea, and because of, in Canada's case, what happened with the Canadian truckers and everybody getting their assets seized, people are more apt to at least listening. And once you have a friend or family or whatever that's at least listening, saying, okay, tell me more. You know what you do? Say, okay, download XYZ wallet. You choose the wallet that you like, that you think is simplest. I usually recommend Exodus because it looks pretty. So for newbies, that's important. 
and just say, okay, uh, download your wallet. Fine. Show me your phone. Boom. Send them 20 bucks. Just send people 20 bucks and then just sit back and watch their face. And <laughs> you can see the mouse freezes and they start to blah, 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 blah. wait, I don't understand. How, how is it in my phone? And then now they understand that, dude, this was done without a bank, nothing, peer to peer, completely secure. And then they do that. Then a million questions starts coming for the, the, the remainder of the week. <laughs> and then they start going down the rabbit hole. So sometimes when you have that person that's right on the edge and understands the freedom uh, message and uh, they're willing to do it, just say, here you go, dude. Here's 20 bucks. Tell me what you think. So that, that, that's the best method, in my opinion. And the, the, and like, I, I also find it the most effective because when you give people, you know, a little bit of Bitcoin, doesn't matter, even if they forget about it they'll remember they'll be reminded every time the price does its thing right so angie technology works the magic and they'll remember hey, hey did i did i have that did i have that little bit of bitcoin and then they'll check they'll be like holy crap that 20 dollars is now 100 dollars like holy cow right and then you always get that message like hey <laughs> how do i access that bitcoin wall and then you hope to god they you know they remember the seed Right. Um, and Nico, Nico, how many times have you done that? That like the next day they're like, hey, I made 50 cents yesterday because Bitcoin went up and then they get all excited and then they start watching the market and then they start what we all did years ago when we started, which was checking the price of Bitcoin every 20 minutes and every hour. And then, oh, I should get another wall and how do I buy it? And then once that's happened, then they've uh, they've joined the Borg and they have been assimilated. 100%. And I, you know, it, it's funny, though, because I so when I got into Bitcoin, I got my mom into Bitcoin. So she bought Bitcoin. I wouldn't say we're, we're we were early, but like, we were we were not the in the innovator. We were like at the tail end of the innovator or the very early, 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 early adopter. And it's funny, because I still get text messages from my mom when the when the price you know does this thing or when the, she's like oh my god uh she, she's hispanic obviously so it's like oh my god the bitcoin fell 50 percent like you know it's like some some really funny text and uh yeah it's 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 amazing to see man and and just people starting you know the orange pill journey but i want to emphasis emphasize this and i always do um every show uh the, just because you're, you're, you know, uh, you're, you're, if you, if you leave your boy, your Bitcoin on the exchange, just because you see a number on a screen and it says you own this much Bitcoin, you don't own it until you take self custody of it. And because essentially what you're doing is you're relying on somebody else. And this revolution doesn't work. If people don't take self-custody, if people take self-custody, whether you realize it or not, you are participating in a revolutionary act by taking your energy, your work back into your hands. And the return on violence that governments had, uh, it doesn't give the same return anymore. Let me give you a, a really good example. And BJ is going to like this. In Canada, they were able to freeze during the trucker protest. They were able to freeze um, bank accounts, uh, you know, 
they were literally steal donations. Like, think about it. People were donating before it was a crime to a cause that they felt was righteous. And it was determined after the fact that it was illegal, right? It's absolutely crazy. And then they stole the money of other donations. And it wasn't until people made enough of a ruckus and uh, the Florida governor kind of stepped in and scared them that they were like, okay, let me just return the money. Like, these people are criminals, man. And the only thing they couldn't stop was Bitcoin. They were only to get they were only able to recover a fraction of it. That is how powerful this is. It's going to change the world on a fundamental level because it moves the balance of power from the state back to the individual. And we have never lived in a moment in history that that has happened. I don't know what the consequences are, but so far what it's done for my life what it's done for the people of El Salvador, what it's, what it's, I've seen it happen a thousand times is it's, it's made people's lives change fundamentally for the better. So I, and, and that's why, like we might be living through like a a very dark period in history right now, but I've never been so freaking bullish, you know? So, but that only matters. Everything that I just said only matters if you learn how to take self custody, preferably, with a hardware wallet you feel comfortable with. And that's it, man. That's all you have to do. You know, that, that you are part of the revolution now if you do that. You know, which is why I suspect in the, in the coming years, what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to demonize self-custody. They're, they're, and, and we've already been seeing it happen. They're going to say, oh, no, that's dangerous. Uh, peer-to-peer transactions are dangerous. Uh, you know, they enable criminal behavior. All the bullshit, right? And the and that's why you know these spaces, and that's why Bitcoin education is so important because you have to convince people. It's like, is it really bad that I have the capability to hold my own money? Like, is that is that really a bad thing? Because that's what they're going to try to convince you of. And I and I bet you they're moving forward. You know, you saw how scared these politicians got after the Canada Canada thing. You know, the only thing they couldn't they couldn't kill was Bitcoin, you know. So, oh, man, that's the only thing that worries me. I just um, I just wanted to uh, to quickly add to to what Nico is saying. Right. Um, You know, most people often only learn how important self-custody of Bitcoin is once it's too late. Um, I, I was definitely one of those people when I first got into Bitcoin and I learned that that lesson the hard way. And secondly to you know to nico's point about how the narrative is shifting and indicating that self custody is bad we're already we we started covering multiple articles where the the essentially the corporate owned media or whoever it is that is behind this narrative creation they're constantly harping on this hosted versus unhosted wallets right they create this disingenuous spin on what a wallet is. I mean, first of all, we can even go down the rabbit hole of why using the term wallet isn't good. I understand both sides of it. Um, It helps newbies relate to what it is, but at the end of the day, it isn't an accurate description. So yeah, this this narrative is only going to get worse. Uh, When they see that this hosted versus unhosted doesn't work, um, I'm sure that we're going to be in for something a whole lot dirtier. BJ, you got something to add there? Yeah, just, you know, the importance of self-custody. And if there's any newbies in there, in here, 
uh, we've mentioned in our rooms is the important of importance of remembering your seed phrase. Um, just something that happened two nights ago or three nights ago, I was out with a buddy of mine from South America who I haven't seen in, I don't know, a couple of years. So finally we get together, whatever. We're at a stoplight getting off the highway and I mentioned Bitcoin. You know, like every just time, what are you doing? I told him I was at the Bitcoin conference. I spoke here and all that sort of stuff. And he says, Bitcoin? What? It's not real money. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking? So you'd start having that conversation. The light is now red. We're talking about this, right? He says, how much is a Bitcoin? And I said, I don't know, 45,000 today, something like that. And he turned white and he stopped. And he looked at me and says, no, how much? Like he couldn't compute it. And this guy's a computer techie. So he couldn't figure it out. I'm like, dude, it's 45 grand a Bitcoin. And he says, dude, I have so much Bitcoin from 2011. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, I used to buy Bitcoin because I was using it for transactions. And it was, you know, South America. There's a lot of restrictions. And he's like, you mean if I have my laptop or I have my hard drive that if I have that Bitcoin, I have that much money? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's how it works. He's like, bro, I still have the hard drive, but I don't know how to access. Like, I don't know what's the name of the, he starts asking me all these, what's the name? I'm like, look, dude, I will go, let's sit down. We'll get on the computer together. We'll look at it. We'll figure it out and we'll sort out a solution for you. So here's a guy who's now the latest victim who was using Bitcoin in 2011, forgot about it. He doesn't know how much he had. He said, I have it minimum, at minimum, he described it three times 15 Bitcoin because he used to do transactions that required a minimum of, of 17 Bitcoin at that time, which was like 20 bucks or something like that. So those seed phrases and remembering your passwords and whatever, once again, uh, we're learning how important that is and hopefully... I'll be able to help my friend uh, change his life because he's been on some downtime. So maybe, maybe Bitcoin will be life changing again. Oh, back from 2011, back from 2011, it's, it's going to be Bitcoin core that he had. There's not going to be a seed phrase. There's going to be a wallet. And most people didn't even encrypt them then. So he just has to find his wallet file. And if he had a password for it, that's all he'd have to remember. Okay, so you know what? I may have to, when I do this, uh, when I meet with him, because the, the laptop is not in uh, North America. Uh, when I meet uh, with him and sit down, he said, yeah, like he said, it's a, a gray B was the icon for the software. I'm like, yeah, that's before it went orange or whatever it was. So if it's that simple, well, then that, that, even might, that might be one. Of, yeah, it might also be one of the other wallets. It was out at the, there were a handful of other wallets and, and hopefully. Um, Hopefully, it's still running on his computer because he, he can craft a transaction from one of them. Anyway, I mean, this is this is obviously private stuff that other people don't need to listen to. But if you want to reach out to me a little bit later on, and um, also cool, appreciate it, man. If, Thanks. If he does have a password, right, and, and he can't remember the full password, but he can you remember parts of it, um, there's a, uh, a fairly reputable service. I think it's. I don't know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's something like Dave at um, Wallet Recovery Services. He's all over Reddit for years and he takes a certain fee um, and he, he's helped a lot of people get their Bitcoin back. Um, but, look, but look into it. That's awesome. Thanks for the advice, guys. I'll, I'll let you know how things uh, progress. 
Shane, you got something to say, and then uh, we can do some announcements. Yeah, I was just going to comment on the self-custody thing because this is a super frustrating thing for me with with a lot of the people I know. I literally just sent a text to a guy that I've been trying to, you know, I'm literally offering to get on a call with him or whatever and talk through self-custody. <laughs> I sent him a text the other day. I'm like, did you get your stuff off the exchange yet? And he's like, no. And, you know, you just want to tear into people to a certain extent because you know that they've got the time that it takes to understand it, but they, you know, they've got this fundamental, um, you know, lackadaisical attitude, which, you know, unfortunately for some, like was said earlier, they're going to, they're going to have to uh, lose some of it, unfortunately to wake up, which is kind of sad. Hey, BJ, uh, Dictor, um, Good guy is also a uh, good guy biker. He also does the. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to him. He's a good dude for sure. He's yeah. actually walking me through uh, mining because uh, I tried mining about a year and a half ago and I think I'm going to get back into it. So, yeah, he's a really good dude. Uh, so, appreciate that, man. I think it's just, uh, you know, baby steps with everybody on their Bitcoin journey. Self custody can be intimidating. There's a lot of risk um but it's just important to be that person for them in their lives to help them walk through it and be there to answer their questions and just make them understand how important it is um just a few announcements here you know this is cafe bitcoin this is the best place for bitcoin news morning news and the preferred hangout of some of the best bitcoiners out there we got some of these people on stage right now with us um this is also a podcast Uh, We do a recording, comes out every day on Spotify and Apple. You can go check it out. Um, If you want a job in Bitcoin, the best place to do that is BitcoinerJobs.com. I know so many people that have gotten jobs in the industry through that site. It is run by Swan. We don't make any money off it. It is there as a resource for the community and for Bitcoiners to work in this industry and dedicate all their time and effort to helping build this bright orange future that we all believe in. Um, And lastly, I am Sam Callahan. I am an analyst at Swan Bitcoin. Swan is one of the best places to buy Bitcoin. And speaking of self-custody, we have automatic withdrawals and it's completely free unlike some of these other big name exchanges that i won't name Um, we are completely global Um, we serve people from all over the world if you're in a, a business account we have some of the quickest onboarding for businesses any kind of entities it only takes a couple of days to get you set up and ready to go buying bitcoin for not only you but your employees and then lastly if you're a high net worth individual or and, and looking to buy Bitcoin, check out Swan Private, our concierge service that gets the greatest education and white glove service for all your needs when it comes to Bitcoin. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, I kind of want to pivot away from the, the self-custody talk, even though it's so important. But I wanted to talk about micro strategy because last night on a call, they were discussing uh, some of their financial results. And, and they said that they right now own about 129,218 Bitcoin uh, as reported on April 5th, which is pretty insane. And they also entered into a senior secured loan agreement with Silver Bank uh, recently. And they were speaking of the fact that they could potentially be margin called at around 21,000 
if the price went to 21,000, but I know that there's some nuance here and we have Rob on stage who has kind of digged into this. So uh, Rob, I was wondering if you could get your opinion on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Hey, Sam. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, sure. Happy to. So yeah, there's definitely some nuance and, um, for what it's worth, uh, I actually spoke with, uh, Shirish, who's the, uh, the IR and capital markets guy down in, um, in Miami at the conference. I ran into him and, I had a question about this because at the time, if you guys recall, they had uh, they had just taken out this term loan with Silver <clears throat> Silvergate, and I was going through the loan documents back then, and and it seemed to me like there was effectively a, a call provision based upon what's called an LTV test, uh, which immediately resonates with me coming from a real estate background. So LTV is just uh, loan to value, and basically what they did, if if you think about um, you know, having to pledge some Bitcoin initially against the $200 million of principal, they effectively like worked out a, a 25% LTV off the bat based upon the Bitcoin price at the time. And what the loan says <clears throat> is essentially you have to maintain a, um, a 50% LTV throughout, through the term. Um, and last night, I think there was some confusion because the CFO said that they could like quote unquote be margin calls at $21,000. But the nuance here is that they have, you know, um, as we know, MicroStrategy set up this internal subsidiary called MacroStrategy, which contains um, a bucket of, yeah, which is, I know, Sam, I see you're laughing. I know it's hilarious. So actually quite funny. Um, I forget who it was, but someone suggested that over Twitter and Sailor, um, you know, he, he actually created that, that subsidiary and stuck all the Bitcoin legally underneath that, that part of the house. But really what it means is they would have to move unencumbered Bitcoin that they own from one side of the house and micro a macro strategy, excuse me, over to the, what's called the collateral package. And the collateral package is just a, a bucket of assets. It could be real estate, it could be cash. In this case, it's Bitcoin um, that serves as collateral against that loan. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, like I've, I've kind of, I don't know if I've defended them. Um, I think there's been obviously like a lot of, you know, narrative around microstrategy that's not true. Lots of FUD. Um, but, but what is different now is that previously all of their debt was non-callable. Now, theoretically, the term loan is callable and that would happen at a price of 10 below 10,000 K per BTC. Now, I'm not saying that it would get there. I mean, hopefully it, it doesn't get there. But at that price, they would theoretically run out of unencumbered Bitcoin and have to, you know, either pay off the loan because it would be called back from them or have to raise equity to as, as a company, like sell stock out into the market to basically like post more, more collateral. And that's when things get like really ugly. So I, I think it's important for people to understand that something materially changed with the Silvergate loan, um, especially if like if you're thinking about owning MSTR is like a vehicle to, you know, hold Bitcoin. I mean, we all know it's not, not really Bitcoin. It's a claim on Bitcoin. But theoretically, if, if BTC were to dump really hard from here below 10K, um, you know, MicroStrategy could, I, I, don't want, I don't want to say it would be a zero, but, you know, if, if, if it goes down 75%, like that wouldn't be crazy because they would be margin call. But anyway, I, that's the nuance. The, the margin call that, that the CFO talked about on the earnings call is really moving unencumbered BTC from one subsidiary to the other. 
things get really hairy below 10,000 K BTC. So anyway, that, that's the, the high, you know, the highlight. I don't, if any, if anyone has any questions or comments or additions to it, happy to chat about it, but it's, it's important to understand that I think. Yeah. And, and just to add a little, uh, a little to that as well. Um, so also MicroStrategy's average price is around 29,000 as well. So, um, those are in the eye of the public opinion, right? Or however that phrase goes, those levels are, are important, uh, psychologically, right? Because essentially right now, um, Michael Saylor, uh, looks smart, right? Cause he's up on all his investments, right? And he went full DGen and he went, he started using margin, right? If it goes below 29K, Right. His margin calls, you said 21K, I think. I think I. Said. Well, not really, because again, they have the, the margin, the quote unquote true margin call really happens below 10,000 because okay. they, have, they have enough BTC that's not encumbered by a loan to move it from one subsidiary over to the collateral package and meet what's called that, that LTV or loan to value test. So it's really a $10,000 would be like what we think of as a true margin call where like you lose your Bitcoin quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think, I think 29 K is, is an important level psychologically because that's their average price. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I, I think he, he really put all his egg, you know, I think he really believes in this thing. And, and, and I think we're all kind of in that boat, right? Especially, us that work in Bitcoin that are building businesses around Bitcoin, um, you know, we're we're putting everything at stake, so to speak, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to Sailor uh, for believing, right? He's not all talk, I guess. Yeah, he talks this book. It's it's interesting, um, and you know, I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for Andy, but actually, Andy and I had a Andy Edstrom. That is, we had a conversation at the conference um, at the Swan Party, and we were just kind of chatting. And you know, but one thing that he likes to always say is, you know, don't obviously don't get wrecked, don't get Bitcoin wrecked, don't don't leverage your Bitcoin. Um, there's an argument to be made that up until this point. MicroStrategy really didn't lever itself because they used effectively, um, you know, cost-free, what are called cost-free converts. So there was essentially no interest cost on their convertible debt. And effectively, at least one tranche was equity, given where the stock was priced and where BTC was priced. In, in my opinion, and I'm just trying to be objective here, like I, I appreciate what, what Sailor does for Bitcoin. And I think, um, you know, he's obviously made a bold move, but... In in my opinion, just like as an analyst, I, I personally think MicroStrategy kind of crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, with this term loan. Because at this point, like, and we've seen crazy things happen over the last decade, right? Like, if if that scenario were to play out, I mean, it, it's kind of over. Um, and not that they would have to sell their Bitcoin, but I mean, the, the company would potentially lose all its Bitcoin as collateral, effectively. So I, I don't know. I not to be alarmist, but I, also to be objective and to be real. It's it's definitely different now than it was, say, a month ago for them. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, we, we've all watched Sailor and, and obviously super, super uber intelligent guy. And 
clearly has uh, super intelligent people around him. I mean, people who are really intelligent attract really intelligent people. I don't personally have the same access to the same kind of information um, that he has. And even though it is a, a uh, aggressive and convicted uh, play, you know, I'm going to give him and his organization the benefit of the doubt. I would doubt that they would they would do this without um, looking at the risk profile and assuming that they were on the correct side. I, I did see a tweet suggesting that they would buy more as it approached 21 or something to try to you know basically keep the floor uh, somewhere you know in that area. So I don't know how they would do that, but maybe they've got. Money set aside. I, I would say it's even before that. I would say that the 29K level is so important. And, you know, we kind of saw that. Uh, we, we saw that defended um, last time. I think the, the, the low, the, the, the recent low were about a couple months ago was around 33K. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that level is just because everyone knows that's their average. Right. And then on top of that, think about it this way. Right. Everybody that feels like they missed out now has an opportunity to buy now. Right. So like uh, MicroStrategy wouldn't have that advantage anymore if we dropped to that 20K level, 29K level. Um, personally, I'm just bullish I, 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 with the hash rate doing its thing. Um, and then with more countries, like think about it, we... <laughs> Bitcoin hit an all-time high before all these countries made it legal tender, you know. So, uh, and you know, theoretically, because of the hash rate, right? It's it's theoretically, you know, harder to computationally attack, right? As well, right? So, you know, which, in my opinion, and again, I'm biased because I'm a miner. Uh, you know, that makes it more valuable, right? But well, might have say that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm bullish. Like, I know we're like kind of going sideways. We're bleeding out a little bit. It's kind of going down a little bit, but I'm bullish, man. That's me personally, but I, I guess I'm biased as a Bitcoiner. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm biased too. <laughs> just to just to be fair, um, or just to be honest, but you know, it's it's just a it's it's just a risk, right? That that didn't exist before. Um, that that's the only reason why I highlight it. Sorry, are you saying that the risk that didn't exist before was before he had the loan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that, now that there's a loan, there, there's a little bit more risk because it was. But it's, you know, if you look at the balance sheets of 99% of the companies on the S and P 500, they've all got debt. Well, and they've all got yeah. some situation in which something would happen that their debt would that they would be unable to service their debt. Um, and so let, let's not forget Microsoft. And I'm not trying yeah, like to defend pension, it. I'm just trying, trying to understand. It's, it's, exactly. It's a, well, it's a very... Yeah, yeah and, and they, have ex, they have expenses, right? So um, in this case, MicroStrategy still also has cash flow. So they have cash flow to cover interest on the debt. And as long as they're able to cover interest on the debt, they're, they're able to make their payments. And what they've been doing so far is not only covering the debt, but using this, the excess cash flow to buy more Bitcoin. And, and, you know, a big part of this, I think, is is Michael Saylor realizes there's only a finite amount of this. So as more and more of it gets bought, the price of it goes up and up. And he's more on side with any kind of covenants uh, that might, 
that might be the case. Now, he can't control the whole price of Bitcoin, but he can direct the cash flows of MicroStrategy towards buying Bitcoin. And that's, and that's all he can do at, at this point in time. And, and perhaps, you know, if there's more people who want to lend more money to MicroStrategy to do that. But going down to a price of $10,000 or, or something is, um, that's a very big drawdown from where we are right now. And we're hearing people complain. I am giggling a little bit because like people are so upset that the price is only in the $40,000 range. This is like a dream two years ago or two and a half years ago. Will it ever achieve double that? So it's, it, it, I don't want to be unalarmist. I, I, I'm certainly not advising to people, to other people to leverage up, but um, that's a long way down you're talking about. Yeah. Um, maybe, by the way, like I, 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 for one, just, just to be clear, like I, I don't personally think that we're headed there, but very, very specifically, um, yes, there, there are lots of companies that are, that are leveraged to the hilt and, and MicroStrategy had taken out debt before. I think what the thing that I'm trying to highlight here specifically is that they, they altered the type of debt that they were using. It would be like if you or I had, you know, refinanced our mortgage um, to keep, you know, when rates dropped but kept our payment, our monthly payment unchanged and used the proceeds to buy Bitcoin. That, that mortgage couldn't really, or that Bitcoin or the mortgage couldn't be called away from us. But then a couple months later, you know, we went on FTX or some shitcoin casino and like pledged a couple of BTC to like, you know, buy a couple of other BTC on margin or some, you know, over um, over collateralized amount. Um, and then it got called away from us. It's just like when, when they did this, they went from a place of having like type of debt a to type of debt a plus B and the B is very different and carries a, a you know, a different set of risks. That that's all that maybe that's a different way of putting it. No, man. Um, I, I appreciate the nuance personally and both sides of the, the story and I think Nico's a good point with with when it goes below 29k, like we'll probably get a lot of criticism we'll hear in mainstream media criticizing MicroStrategy, and we are in this like war of narratives. So other corporations might listen to that stuff. So I do think that's kind of a critical um, area. But I, I just love the nuance, Rob. So appreciate it, man. And and then just you'll hear a lot about the margin call at 21k. But now after listening to you here, we know that it's probably farther down below that. So I just think that's important to understand. Thanks, um, man. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we got two featured guests here. We got the Simply Bitcoin boys with us. Um, we're coming on the second half of the hour here. So I kind of wanted to shift, it, uh, shift gears. And I want to talk about the coordinated attack that we've seen because it's very obvious that we are seeing the same um, kind of talking points being pushed as an attack against Bitcoin, specifically against proof of work from uh, these international financial institutions, from central banks to environmental activists. They're all saying the exact same thing. It's almost like they're reading a script. And, um, you know, a perfect example of this was from um, Scaramucci, who posted a tweet who said, I believe Elgaron is a green blockchain i think that was the tweet and um i'll kind of post this up in the nest i responded that bitcoin is an orange blockchain because i just think it's an absolute silly thing to say um but you know let's start with let's start with phil 
Phil, what do you think of this uh, kind of coordinated attack that we're seeing? Um, and how, how do you think is the best way to kind of combat some of this FUD? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a couple of points, right? Um, okay, so we'll start off with, yes, I totally agree about the coordinated attack. I mean, I cover this quite often in the fail between the World Economic Forum, the IMF. Uh, we also had one episode where we were able to show the strings between a publication that Vitalik's father owns, okay, um, and the World Economic Forum and this essentially this PDF uh, illustration document that they made uh, to show or to depict Bitcoiners as robbers and thieves and uh, essentially proof of stake being the more virtuous, you know, better technology. So 100%. We are definitely seeing this. Uh, yesterday, actually, we covered uh, in the fail um, that's actually going to release today, We one of the things that we covered was a response uh, a response to the the coordinated attack and the FUD that that they're pushing out because so look, most recently we had Mozilla come out and say, all right, we're not accepting cryptocurrency donations anymore. We're, we're not sure that you know about the impacts. Now all of a sudden we've got Wikipedia that decided to make itself completely irrelevant and do the exact same thing. And when you go and read the reasons why. The reasons that they're giving are the exact same reasons that the corporate-owned media gives, and they're not actually looking at the information objectively. And this is, this is really the scary part of this, is that we have massive echo chambers with millions of people listening to this, and there is zero counter-narrative. Oh, uh, go ahead, Tomer. Sorry, I accidentally thumbed the mic. I didn't mean to speak. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. No worries. Um, okay, so the, uh, the second point I wanted to make was about Algorand. Okay, we have, to cover, we have to cover Algorand because a bunch of people started to FUD our YouTube about, oh, um, El Salvador isn't really running on Bitcoin. They're using shitcoin rails. Okay, so I don't, I don't care what Anthony Scaramucci had to say, whether it's green or not. It's, it's a centralized shitcoin. It has a metaphorical head you can chop off. This is not Bitcoin. This is not personal freedom. This is not censorship-resistant ledger. Okay, so that, to me, I, I just don't care about the rest. But the important point to this is, is that Algorand, okay, is not, and we covered this and we showed it, Algorand is not being used in any way, shape, or form for the Bitcoin network. The El Salvador government is looking into it only because they think that it may be helpful for government records i.e. not freaking money. So, you know, to, to summarize, what is the best way to fight this FUD? The best way to fight this FUD is to continue to put out the counter narratives that we're putting out, continue to provide sources for our information. And essentially, by providing this better, high-quality signal persistently, I think eventually we, we do break through. Yeah, and you guys are certainly doing that. It's simply Bitcoin. Uh, Nico, what's up, man? You got, you got any thoughts on this coordinated attack? Yeah, man. I mean, look, uh, uh, it, this isn't my original thought. It was Guy Swan that said it. I think it's beautiful. And, and Corey's touched upon this as well. Um, so shitcoiners don't, don't... I think this was paraphrasing Guy's thought. Uh, shitcoiners don't mind stabbing Bitcoin in the back if it means that they're getting their Lambos. 
they don't care, uh, you know, potentially killing Bitcoin if it means enriching themselves, right? Which is why you have, you know, the founder of, of XRP or one of the founders of XRP, you know, spending $5 million um, to attack Bitcoin's energy usage. Um, and he he's actually one of the donators or one of the, he, he's he's uh, funding the whole New York State Senate banning Bitcoin mining. Like he he's, you know, he's, fan, he's, he's funding a lot of those politicians. Um, and then to, to Corey's point, I've actually said this as well. Uh, we just, you know, Corey says it a lot prettier than I do. Um, there's this kind of this, this, there is, and there, there is going to be, and there, there, it, you already kind of see this building. Um, there's going to be an evil alliance between shit coins and the state. And the reason for that is simple. They need the state to survive. Um, you, you see this with what Phil was saying. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, <laughs> it's so funny saying this, but <laughs> one of the people on the Ethereum Foundation, her name is Aramia Gushi, and, and Phil actually discovered this. She sits, she's the head of the blockchain initiative at the World Economic Forum. And it's not a coincidence that all these institutions, all these governments are at or attacking proof of work. And they are essentially, you know, uh, advertising or, you know, being big advocates of, of proof of stake uh, to the point that we actually reported this, that European politicians were actually caught in the leaked text messages, internal documents, them literally saying we have to attack Bitcoin's price and we have to protect Ethereum. And the reason for that is simple. The shitcoiners gain because they feel like they're enriching themselves and the politicians gain because they get to remain in power and control of people's lives through monetary policy. Right. So I suspect that alliance is going to get more and more powerful. And look, as much as we make fun of these shitcoins and, you know, we know they're centralized, we know they don't offer they don't have the same characteristics as, as Bitcoin. What you can't deny is that they're extremely well-funded. They're extremely well-capitalized, right? And they will go to whatever lengths, even if that means killing Bitcoin, if it means they get wealthier, if it means that their shitcoin will go above Bitcoin, right? So I suspect that this is going to continue to escalate. But here's the thing. I just don't think that coercion is more powerful than incentives and i think that because of that and that alone i think bitcoin wins at the end but like i said earlier um what what i have no doubt in my mind that we'll win what worries me is the transition the transition is 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 scary to me and i think that a lot of people are going to be very hurt uh either because they stay in fiat. Um, you know, they buy into the whole central bank digital currency, which is a central planner's wet dream. Or, you know, they 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 find false hope in in these shit coins, and it, it, it's it's going to be catastrophic. And there's going to be a lot of envy that's created, a lot of anger, right? 
And you know that a couple politicians, what they're going to do is they're going to fiat is fiat collapsed. It's Bitcoin's fault. You know, you know, they're already kind of trying to say that you hear that in the IMF is language, right? It's like it, Bitcoin could potentially be bad for the financial system. Like <laughs> it's like when it happens, it's like I told you so, guys, like it, it, and of course, it, it's, it's never the money printing. It's never their regulations. It's never their fault. The politicians are perfect. It's always someone else, you know, and it, it, and a lot of NPCs, a lot of people that are just just they've lived their entire lives in the matrix, in the fiat matrix. They're just not going to know any better and they're going to go along with it. They're going to say, oh, yeah, you know, like it's Bitcoin. It's it's boiling the oceans. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and, and that's why they're doing it. They wouldn't do it unless they knew they can convince a good amount of people to just buy their BS. You know, so, yeah, I, I think we have an uphill battle. I, I, I think we'll win. But, you know, every day is a is a is a struggle. Every day is a fight. You know, one one uh, heart, like one person at a time. Right. You got to win over hearts and minds. That's 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 the name of the game. Yeah, man. Yeah, like, I, sorry. And you go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I was just going to say, you know, adding on to what Nico's saying, I mean, the irony for me about. The idea of, of some shitcoiners trying to attack Bitcoin. Um, it's like, I think about the dog chasing the cars. Like, it's a fun thing to do, but what happens when you catch it? You know, it, that, that dog gets squished. And it's my personal opinion. I don't know if you all agree, but I mean, it's my personal opinion that if Bitcoin fails, like all this shitcoin stuff's coming crashing down, you know? And that, that's like, it's not about some correlation of markets either. It's much deeper than that. Like, so I just think it's funny to, to think about, you know, it's one thing to run your little scam in the dark and try to make some money like in the shadows, you know, but trying to take a swing at the king, that doesn't work out for anybody. Yeah, but it's not going to try. And I, I think that, you know, they've been, <laughs> you can't deny that they've been relatively successful. Like you can't deny that right in Europe essentially uh and it passed or it's on the way to passing right uh they had a they had a vote on proof of work that didn't pass right but essentially the the demonizing of of self-custody and not only that essentially what they want to do is they want to kyc the whole process so for example if you send uh a bitcoin transaction to another person what the European Union is is currently advocating for is uh, they need to be KYC. You need to report who that is, right? And that what they're doing is they're, they're setting a precedent, right? They're gonna, you know, what they're gonna say? They say, "Oh, this law is unenforceable. Now you have to uh, hold your Bitcoin in a custodial wallet because if you don't, you know, terrorism, money laundering, all the buzzwords that they love to use, right? So." It's absolutely crazy. And we've actually had a KYC expert on the show. His name is uh, Dr. Ron Paul. And he's dedicated a good portion of his life just, you know, doing the research on KYC AML and is it effective? And, and the numbers are absolutely staggering. So it, it's, it's a well-known fact that people spend more in compliance than they actually recover through the KYC AML system. And in terms of success rate in Europe, it's about 0.1%, right? Think about that. Think, have you ever heard like you at a bank or at a, at a, at a you know, financial place? I'm sure you guys at Swan, right? It, it, you, you literally need to be quote unquote compliant, 
right? But here's the thing. If the compliance, right, is more effective at controlling people than it is at stopping crime, then you start to ask the you start to ask the question: What is the point of this compliance? And now another another component that I want you guys to think about is this KYC AML system has created the most exclusionary financial system the world has ever seen. It's estimated that sixty to fifty percent of the world's population is unbanked, and why is that? Because you, if you don't, if you aren't born in the right place, and you try to open a bank account, you are unbankable. They don't want to take your business. Whereas if you download a Bitcoin wallet, Bitcoin doesn't care where you're from, what your skin color is, what your religion, what your beliefs are. You could download it. And here's the thing, El Salvador. It only took a month. For there to be more Bitcoin wallets in the country than traditional bank accounts. Traditional banking had a 40-year head start in El Salvador. And Bitcoin still took them to school. And that's why they're freaking out. They're freaking out. They would like you to believe the Financial Action Task Force, and the KYC guy, the AML guy, the, all the bankers, which use that as a regulatory moat to stifle uh, innovation, Essentially, they would like you to believe that the world would burn down if those restrictions were not in place. But if you actually look at the facts, if you actually look at the data, it's not effective at the things that they're advocating it for. Cash is much more effective, but they don't talk about cash. What they're talking about is Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. So you start putting all these dots together, then you're just like, okay, this is really about control. This is about power and control. This is what it is. This is what politics are. It's power and money, right? And Bitcoin moves that from the government, from the state, from the bankers, and it moves it back to the people. And it absolutely terrifies them. And they're going to say whatever it takes. They're going to pay off whoever, anyone who's willing to sell their soul. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've looked into the CBDC research pretty deeply and the IMF and Bank of International Settlements. It's how they justify not having privacy in any of their designs is they, well, they have to have AML KYC, right? They need to stop crime. But then you look at the facts, like Nico's just saying, not only are they completely ineffective at stopping crimes, but it's how they justify the regulatory overreach. And, and it's, it's complete bullshit, to be honest with you. And then my thing about it, too, is that all of these attacks, they, they cite the exact same sources, right? They're these debunked studies from like two authors, and they all cite the exact same things. And if anybody digs into these studies, I would just like, I would say to you, click on the links that they link within there and follow them, follow the links, click through the citations that they cite, look at the studies, look at the methodologies that they use, and you'll quickly learn that it's complete bullshit. Sometimes they'll just say something random, like 45% uh, of crypto transactions are used for crime. And that was from the ECB last week. They said 45% of transactions are for crime. And then if you go down to the citations, they completely walk back that statement. But how many people are actually going down to the citations and looking at that who are reading that paper? 
probably you know one percent of people. And so if you if you any if you ever come across a FUD article like that or a piece from these organizations, dig in a little bit deeper, and you've already researched deeper than ninety nine percent of people who have read that article. And I would just say that that's super important to do. You mean the KYC AML uh, protection that stopped the trillion plus or so that was estimated to have been stolen from the government during the the COVID uh, um, uh, processes where the money was being doled out? Is that what we're talking about? You sound like a right wing conspiracy theorist, bro. (laughs) Hey, I was trying to convince my brother yesterday that um, that inflation has has reduced the value of the purchasing power power of the dollar, and it was like it was like a brick wall. And so this morning he's coming over today, and so this morning I'm bringing up the uh, the inflation calculator um, so that he can look at it. And from 1912 to now, it's it's 2,000% or whatever it is. Um, but you know, the first thing I'm going to ask him is, is what do you think the real inflation inflation rate is this year? Because it says here it's 8.94% on average. So we're going to start with that and see, see if I can't, uh, see if I can't convince him at least that, that there's a problem with, with, with the chart going from, uh, from left to right in a downward fashion. Sam, could you, could you get this guy off stage? He's clearly peddling misinformation, you know? Yeah, we can't have that. We're CPI maximalist up here. Please get off stage. <laughs> no, but it, it, no, he, so, it, he's making great points. Sorry, Terrence. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just real quick on the CPI point. Uh, given that the the government has said that GDP shrank allegedly by one and a half percent or whatever year over year, and a lot of us know and believe, at least here on stage, that CPI is greatly underestimating real inflation doesn't that mean the real economy shrank by much more maybe more like 10 percent year over year than the mere one and a half percent they're promulgating and promoting wait what they're okay, lying so to us? so the <laughs> yeah this is something mark moss talked about i was hoping he would do a tweet storm but i haven't seen it but in Twitter spaces last week during um, um, Alex's show. See, this is kind of the the other piece to this, right? When the corporate-owned media puts out uh, hit pieces like this, we end up having to spin our wheels to undo their narrative or to at least provide the counter-narrative. And keep in mind, right? Like, at this point, this is a system that has, you know— amassed resources from everywhere right it's people in the government it's the actual media in some cases the journalists so when they go you know like when this information comes out from them we we are immediately in an uphill battle i mean we were already in an uphill battle to start because we have to essentially undo or help explain how to undo the way people look at value and uh time and money so we already have that against us. And then on top of that, you have the corporate owned media that puts out these narratives that, hey, it doesn't take them long to put out a FUD article that they didn't really research. But then we have to sit there and fight it for, you know, until until it finally dies. And as we've seen, we've seen the same arguments, especially for the people that have been in this space for a long time. We have fought the same arguments for years. I wouldn't say from the beginning, because um, prior to 2013, or I would say prior to 2015, 
I don't think that people really recognized how much of an attack shitcoins were. People were still more in the experimental phase and they, they were they were more curious. And then the the attack started to become much more apparent. Which is literally exactly why uh, Phil, you know, when Phil's point, which is exactly why the they are censoring so much nowadays. The the internet is disintermediating them. Like these legacy media outlets that you they used to have a monopoly on the narrative, a monopoly on information. The internet is just like, yo, like that doesn't work like that anymore. And social media has given everyone's, you know, any everyone an ability to essentially be their own platform, be their own broadcaster, and they're absolutely losing their minds. So yeah, it's it's it it's 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 uh some some dark days ahead as these people try to retain power and unfortunately the shit coins you know the shit coiners kind of do the same thing you know they, they label bitcoiners toxic they don't they don't it's not even uh, trying to argue what uh you know argue against them in a debate it's just it's just trying to censor their speech so i suspect because their incentives align shit coiners and the media class and these politicians that want to remain in power <laughs> they're all going to collude <laughs> like it sounds like a conspiracy but it, and it's not only me coming to this conclusion i'm pretty sure Corey had a tweet that said similar same like i'm i was a lot more alex jones about it you know i was like the world economic forum and shit coins are gonna you know collude but you know Corey said it a lot more elegantly but yeah it's it's uh i, I think it's inevitable i, I really do Yeah, I, I think uh, Nico and Phil, I think you're absolutely right. We, we are fighting like an uphill battle against um, all of this. And I, I guess the, the I'm trying to play it out over a long time horizon. And I think you're completely right. You know, they say something and then we have to like walk it back. We have to explain why that's wrong. We have to prove it. Even when we prove it, they don't believe the sources. I, I know that's like the running joke. I, I guess this is, I'll ask it, kick it over to Phil and Nico first, and then we can kind of open it up. But you know, even if we're winning for a decade or two decades or however long, I worry that even the narratives they're still going to be pushing, like the Elizabeth Warrens are going to be like, they got lucky, they cheated you, they stole your money, they stole, like, they're going to always just keep spinning their wheels about the new thing, even if we were trying to help people. And I really do believe Bitcoiners as a whole, not to just toot our own horns, we're, we're really trying to help people, trying to help humanity, trying to help all colors, creeds, races, religions. You know, it, this is really freedom money and it's for anyone, for enemies. And I know that's kind of the thing, but I guess, uh, and like I said, this is very philosophical. There isn't a right or wrong answer, but I guess what while we're fighting the narratives now and, and we're winning and then they're going to spin it and say, you know, we're horrible people. We're just as bad as Bezos or Musk or whatever it is. Um, so I'll kick it over to you guys, what you, what you guys think about, you know, how we continue to fight the narrative and what the future attack vectors will be of that. Well, you know what? I, I would say that one of the best one of the best things we can do, which is at least this is the way we see it. Uh, you know, Nico can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it's simply Bitcoin. This is one of the reasons that we provide the counter narrative, and one of the reasons that we make the show the way that we do. You know, try to make it a little more, you know, uh, entertaining and you know a little bit more fun and doing the different segments. Because the reality is, is that to your point. They're never going to look the the desire for humans for humans to have power for humans to have control. There will always be a person or group of people that believe 
that they are destined to have the maximum amount of control and that they know better. Okay, the last hundred years or so has been, or 200 years, has been dominated by the bankers. Okay, the world bankers felt that they knew best. And we can see after this long, drawn out, painful experiment, the emperor wears no clothes. Okay, these people have no idea what they're doing. They printed us into a complete nightmare. So, and, and let's face it, they're not going quietly into the night. So, to your point, the only thing that we can do truly is to persist in creating this material. And the other thing is, is that Bitcoiners, so this is something I started to recognize about uh, three years ago when, or yeah, three, four years ago when I really just became Bitcoin only, is that, you know, Bitcoiners come in, they stack sats, you develop the low time preference in some, in most cases, you know, when you start to gravitate towards the Bitcoin philosophy. Well, that, as that happens, some of us, you, you start to have this desire that where, you know, you say to yourself, well, once Bitcoin's value starts to reach a point that becomes life changing for me, I want to give back to this ecosystem. I want to help build this ecosystem and I want to make sure it stays strong. So what we're seeing and a lot, I, I think that there's quite a few OG Bitcoiners that won't even talk about it necessarily, but they're doing it. You see the OG Bitcoiners taking the value that they've been able to accrue in Bitcoin, not all of it, of course, but taking some of that value and then putting it to work, building structures upon Bitcoin philosophy, right? And in doing so, we are creating our own media channels outside of the corporate owned media and we will have no masters and the truth is is that once that happens more people are going to be able to have access to that counter narrative signal and believe me at that point we've already seen it with bitcoin right bitcoin exposes incentives so the second that people see that you're a scammer they can't unsee it and i'd like to say that these these walled gardens are going to start to crumble these corporate owned walled gardens are going to start to crumble So, you know, as far as as far as I think we need to step back just a little bit and realize that, you know, our vision is a little myopic um, on the world stage. Um, the Those voices of Elizabeth Warren and the Fudsters are going to become less and less prevalent and less and less loud as time goes on, as as the network effect begins to uh, to take place. And unfortunately, uh, here in the in the the bastion of the money printer, you know we're we're going to be the last ones that hear the Elizabeth Warrens roar turn into a squeak. Uh, but I do think I do think that is coming, and I think that the that the network effect, the more people that that get involved with this, the more people that get on board and just start to utilize Bitcoin um, for for what it is. Uh, and become Bitcoin, really. I mean, you know, we are all Bitcoin. Um, and a as that happens, I think that that those roars become less and less. They become more and more noise in the background. We are all Bitcoin. Uh, sorry to interrupt right now. I just need to say uh, some announcements here because we are Cafe Bitcoin, the best place to talk Bitcoin, to gather together every morning, talk the news and fight the narratives that are attacking Bitcoin. Um, we are also a podcast, so check us out every day. Spotify, Apple, we, we share a recording of our talks, so check us out. And then I uh, wanted to announce the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. Uh, go to packbitcoin.com 
Yeah, Swan is putting on a conference in November. It's going to be a hell of a time um, out in LA, and we're just going to get together. It's going to be a Bitcoin conference, and it's going to be great. So come join us. And then Swan Bitcoin um, is a Bitcoin brokerage that we serve everyone all over the world. Um, so come use our services and buy Bitcoin. We do automatic withdrawals to self-custody for free. Um, if you're a business or you're a high net worth individual, check out swan.com slash private for our concierge service. All right, Terrence, let's continue this great convo. Terrence? Uh, sorry, come back to me. Sorry. Okay, yeah. BJ, what do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to touch on what Nico said in terms of you know bureaucrats and people in politics who think they know better. Uh, I'll give you an example uh, that that I went through. I mentioned to Nico and them before I had uh, I'd run I had run for parliament in Canada, which is how I know so many of our politicians there. And I remember it was at um, you know we'd have these uh, they're called living room meetings. You get to somebody's house who's like a kingmaker, somebody's very influential in politics and all that sort of stuff. And you do it's a schmooze event, right? And there were some people from the U.S., some names that you guys would know, have seen on the news many, many times before. But this one particular person, he's a Canadian, he's always running for politics. And he said out loud for everybody to hear that he doesn't believe that the majority of people are capable of choosing leaders, that it has to remain in the hands of those of us who are informed about what's going on, because most people aren't informed and they're going to be a danger to themselves. And this is for our friends on the left end of the political spectrum. This was a conservative. So it's not about left or right. It's about freedom versus oppression. And you can see it across the board. And these people, and this might be the opportunity for us, they do care about one thing and one thing only. And that is reputation and perception. Public perception is the only thing they care about. That's why they can change their opinions on a dime. But if we reach out to them and we teach them how Bitcoin is freedom, Bitcoin can be the future of a collateralized economy, that Bitcoin can help uh, bank the unbanked and it makes them look good to support Bitcoin then that becomes something that they can build a positive reputation on. Um, but the bigger problem, and the last thing, when uh, Nico mentioned you know, the bureaucrats, the politicians care about just their public perception, but they don't really run things, unfortunately. That's how I saw how it works on the inside. Everything is run by the senior bureaucrats within our institutions. And that's not just in Canada, that's in the U.S., that's all over Western democracies. To the point when I had a conversation with one of our former ministers who was being uh, labeled all over the news for an international affair, I said to him, this is on the topic of immigration, I said, why have you not tried to communicate to your staff to fix things? And he said to me, you don't think I've tried? You don't think I issue a letter from the minister every day? Tell them you need to start enforcing the policies that we've put forth. He said, you know what they do? They just ignore me because they're waiting for the next election cycle. So the rot goes really, really deep. 
But I think our uh, strategic benefit for Bitcoin is we have so much going for it because it appeals to people across the political spectrum. Politicians and people within these institutions need to know that it does good for everybody across society and across the political spectrum. Amen, BJ. That's awesome. How are you guys doing this morning? Can you hear me okay? We hear you good, man. Beautiful. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention this morning. Uh, earlier this morning, Elon changed his profile picture and made a tweet. He goes, I don't know. Seems kind of fungible to me. And his profile picture is a bunch of, you know, board eight yacht club, whatever. He's making fun of it. Um, 34 minutes ago, the WEF just put out a tweet. Um, four things you need to know about the metaverse this week with a nice big Ethereum coin and board apes in the background. So this conversation that you're having, the parody is playing out in real time, in reality, right now. And it's like, it's farcical, it's hilarious, it's beautiful. I, I like, go ahead. Personally, personally, I would say if I, if I owned a shit coin, I would ask myself, why does the World Economic Forum love my shit coin so much? <laughs> that, it, it, that should be the number one sign that you're not on the right side. Like usually, when you have politicians and the and the WEF, you know, saying like, "Yeah, Ethereum is such a good thing," like you should kind of be like, "Okay, what's going on?" But anyways, Phil is the 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 fail expert. Uh, Phil, <laughs> you're experts on Elon. I mean, what you, was your opinion on Elon? Yeah, so I, I I think interestingly enough, right? I think he got me this morning because I immediately saw that and was triggered and was like, okay, here we go, more narcissism from Elon. What a shock! And and then I went and found another thread from Fractal and Crypt, and Zlock had a um, he's the guy who created the uh, the Honey Badger logo uh, for the people that don't know. And then Zlock had responded um, with a tweet indicating that that he's trolling. Now look. Um, Trolling or not, right? What happens is, is that he has a massive audience. And when he does stuff like this, there's a certain portion of that audience that is going to, you know, that is going to fall for this crap. Okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of the problem with that. Um, another piece to this besides the Elon stuff is, so um, on Facebook, I've never seen this before. But all of a sudden, that's right, my parents are on Facebook. Don't judge me, okay? This is where I go talk to them. Anyways, started to see World Economic Forum posts. And interestingly enough, the posts that the World Economic Forum is putting on Facebook are very different than the type of posts that they put on Twitter. So on Twitter, <clears throat> they put through a lot more like think boy type of stuff, you know, where, where they try to, where essentially they, they believe their audiences are, at least this is the way I see it, they believe their audience is quote unquote more educated, but dumb enough to believe this crap. So they're going to, they're going to cater that material a specific way. But then on Facebook, what do they do? They just put out ads about the, essentially the, um, the more efficient technology that's going to use less energy and to me, like that means, you see, they're not putting any of the, the their really strong debatable points there. Instead, what they're doing is, is that they're just, to me, they're painting a picture to say, hey, look, 
we're showing you all this great technology that's coming in the future, all this great environmentally friendly technology, and we're at the forefront of it. But in the background, they're shilling shitcoins and they're shilling proof of stake and they are shilling the exact same system that we are already in that already caused the major problems. And another piece to this, which is unrelated, but still related in a different way, Klaus Schwab wrote a paper in 1971 or 1969, I don't remember the exact date, um, but he wrote a paper, it's a mechanical engineering paper, and this is the paper that the World Economic Forum is, quote-unquote, basing this, this great reset future on. We also covered this on, on Simply Bitcoin. It's psychotic. I mean, you read through this paper, why are we, why are we entertaining this as... Uh, as, as realistic, why are we entertaining this as something real? This is a freaking joke, a terrible joke that is going to have horrible consequences for humanity as, as a whole. I mean, it's fantastic for these 20 people to have a wonderful life, but the rest of us are going to suffer. I actually, sorry, you go, CK. Uh, no, it's Chris, by the way, but uh, yeah, oh, Chris. No. No, no worries. Uh, Phil, I think that's great. I mean, I know you guys normally dunk on the WEF because it's just so easy, but it would be funny if you did a compilation fail of like just going across all their social medias, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, if they have one or, you know, LinkedIn, and then just be like, oh, this is what they put on LinkedIn. This is what they put on Twitter. This is what they put on this. So you can get your WEF, Think Boy Media, however you want to see fit. Um, just throwing that idea out there for you guys. Love what Chris, you do. Chris, don't get them banned from YouTube already. We got to grow their <laughs> audience, man. But do we, we, we make jokes about that all the time. So like we signed up on alternative video platforms and when we always promote the alternative video platforms, we're like, uh, make sure to subscribe to us on alternative video platforms <laughs> because we do make fun of the World Economic Forum. <laughs> but yeah, man, these people have absolutely lost their freaking minds but I, I look and i i really think that's that the, the reason that there's so much centralization of power in this like little institution is is a side effect of the cantillion effect like this is fiat like fiat look i'm not even joking this is this is most likely a coincidence but i just think it's very interesting the world economic forum was founded in 1971 which is exactly the same year that Richard Nixon took us off the fiat standard, right? I mean, sorry, the gold standard, right? So again, that's most likely a coincidence, but I think it's a it's 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 a perfect representation of the end stage of fiat, where you know the wealth has never been controlled by such few hands. And that is directly, that's literally caused by fiat its, itself. And then you have a group of, of elites trying to hold on to power, thinking that the reason that they've been able to accumulate so much wealth in such such few people is because they probably think they're smart as hell. What they what they don't realize is, is like, dude, it, it, it's the fiat system itself that has caused that. Every time they print money, it's a redistribution of wealth from the lower and middle classes that don't have the wealth to save in equities and real estate. And it's redistributed to the extremely wealthy that have the means to save in, in equities and real estate. And they benefit from asset inflation and the government, right? In, in, in America right now, it's the, the, the number 
the last time I saw it was staggering. It's like top 10% of society owns 80% of the stocks, right? Like it, it's, it's something crazy like that. And it's never been like that. And essentially it's, cr it's creating this terrible situation where the younger generation, my generation, the millennial and zoomer generation are, are so disillusioned by the system. They, they are like, wow, capitalism sucks. And I'm empathetic with them because they're right. They, they understand something's wrong. But the tragedy of this is that they believe that the economic system is, is, is broken, but it's not. It's the money that's broken. It's the money that's been stealing from you the entire freaking time, right? And, you know, hopefully some of them wake up because that's the whole tragedy of this, man. It's like, we haven't had capitalism. We've had we've had crony capitalism. It just keeps get, it just keeps getting more crony, right? And they're like, "Wow, capitalism sucks." You know, you hear that the the all the late, this is late stage capitalism. I, I I wouldn't disagree with that. I would just say it's it's late stage crony capitalism, right? I don't think we've had capitalism before. This whole idea where that something's too big to fail and the government gets to pick and choose what banks get to live and what banks get to die is 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 central planning that that's central planning 101 and i think under a bitcoin standard it doesn't matter who your friends are in politics doesn't matter if you worked at goldman and now you uh now you're the treasury it doesn't matter under a bitcoin standard you're going to have to convince the millions of people holding bitcoin to bail you out and more than likely they fucking won't right so it's it's just it's just man, the whole thing is fucked. But I really think that Bitcoin's going to fix this. However, I, I do think that this is the third time I said this. It uh, the transition period is going to get very rocky, and I think a lot of people are going to get are going to get hurt. But you could buy yourself the best insurance known to man. Uh, buy yourself some Bitcoin and take it into cold storage. Like that's how you win. Nico, maybe I think you touched on something important. Perhaps what we should do anytime somebody starts talking about late stage capitalism, perhaps our response is no, no, no. It's called late stage fiat, and Bitcoin is the solution. Phil, start working on the memes, bro. You can have a lot of fun with that, I'm sure. Anders, uh, welcome to the stage, man. Yeah, morning, Sam. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to add to what Nico was saying. I totally agree with uh, with everything there. Um, it, yeah, a lot of people who are suffering think it's capitalism. Um, but if you look at every transaction in society on one side is money and the other side is the good and service that is being, um, uh, traded and, and then let's look at the money. Like Nico, you were saying, like the money is broken. Um, the price of money is, uh, the interest rate. Um, and it, it, in a free market, in a truly capitalist society, the price of the sick, the most important commodity, which is money, which is making up half a, an economy in, in a capitalist society, that is free market. The interest rate, the price of that most important commodity, which makes up 50 percent, um, is, is um, a free interest rate. But it, we have a. Um, really a, a, a communist uh, construct like a small committee uh, sitting in the, on, on the board of uh, the Federal Reserve that decide the price of this by far most important commodity 
in United States and likewise around the world. So, so it is like, if you just look at that one half of the economy, which is the money, it's totally run a communist style. Um, and, and the price is set by a small committee. And we know what happens in economies that, that are communist. Uh, they end up with very, very poor um, capital allocation. The incentive structure is not right. So these countries become very poor. But yeah, just remember that U.S. is already 50% communist because we have a federal reserve. And then you can look at the rest of the economy and also find socialist constructs there. So we don't have anywhere near capitalism, unfortunately. Um, capitalism hasn't failed. Capitalism is, is wonderful and it will help especially the poor people at, at the bottom of society. Um, yeah, that's just what I wanted to say. Over. Absolutely. Let me just add something on top of Danish because I already started pulling out the dates. Um, so check this out. And again, I, I don't think like I like the World Economic Forum 1971 and, you know, Richard Nixon. I think that is a coincidence, but I don't think these dates are a coincidence to kind of add to Danish's point. Right. The Federal Reserve, which was founded in 1913, that same year, 1913, was the same year that the federal income tax was introduced into the United States, 1913. I do not think that's a coincidence. I think that's uh, some central planning. Like, I really do. I think that, that, I think that they, they were implemented to not so much raise money, but to essentially control people and redistribute wealth. Like, that, that, I, I, why, why would it be implemented on the same day? It, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. And if they could just print money, why is there an income tax? Right? It's, it's just like little questions like that, you know? Uh, anyways, enough conspiracy. Right. I it's, think about en it's about enslavement of humanity. Sorry, Sam, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's a perfect point to make right now, given that it's an FOMC meeting day. So eight days a year, there's a scheduled FOMC meeting where the whole world like drops everything and pays attention to like a group of whatever 12 people who make the rules for the entire global economy. So it's exactly what you're saying, man. It's a perfect day to bring that up. And uh, we got about 10 minutes what left here. Yeah. We got about 10 minutes left here. And what I wanted to focus on is this idea that's pushed by people attacking Bitcoin, that proof of stake is a viable alternative. And this really goes back to basically, you know, years. But in January, there's a hearing called Cleaning Up Cryptocurrency. And if you guys remember, Ari Jules, who works with Chainlink, basically said under oath that proof of stake is just as secure as proof of work. And lately, we've been seeing proof of stake coins just crash every single other day, it seems like. And so I wanted to get at least Phil and Nico's opinion on this idea that proof of stake is a viable alternative to proof of work. But it's it's not. <laughs> there you proof go. Of stake is not a, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, it was an alley-oop, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, so the example that you give about uh, the cleaning up cryptocurrency committee, right? That's one of the examples of what we've been talking about with uh, the combined social attack on Bitcoin. And every single uh, 
proposal to ban proof of work, to demonize it, they coincidentally, right, they always advocate for the alternative proof of stake. And coincidentally, the alternative will essentially, it will, it will allow the power structures to remain the same, right? So it's just, it's a whole lot of coincidences, man. So in the beginning, when it first started happening, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But after covering this for, you know, this has been happening, what, six months now? Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence anymore. Now, in terms of the, the, you know, the, the proof of stake, uh, versus proof of work, proof of work has one known flaw, right? Which is a 51% attack. Right now, Bitcoin has reached a level of decentralization that it's possible, but in my opinion, and I might be a little biased here um, because I'm a miner, I think it's economically unfeasible at this point, especially now that the hash rate has migrated away from China. Um, now, with proof of stake, there are num- there are number there. Are, I think there's like five or six known issues that can't be fixed they can only be mitigated right and essentially you uh, what you'd have to do is you'd have to patch them up now no one has been able to figure out a solution to these issues and uh, essentially a lot of them stem from the fact of that the the people that have the most at stake end up being able to manipulate the network to their benefit which is a whole lot like the fiat system today. What makes proof of work different is that if I'm Michael Saylor and I have 129,000 Bitcoin and I am, you know, pleb number one and I have 0.01 Bitcoin, me and Michael Saylor have the same amount of influence over the network. That's never been done before. And only proof of work allows that, right? Proof of work is what keeps the network honest. It's what keeps it really, you know, it's what keeps everyone equal. Um, proof of stake is, look, if I'm Vitalik or I'm whatever and I have a crap ton of Ethereum, I have more voting rights than you. I have more influence over the network. I could manipulate the network to my advantage. And what I've seen, right, is that every iteration of proof of work, you've seen this pop up. You've seen the centralization show its ugly head, which is why they have to resort on coercion, right? The the thing with the, the World Economic Forum tweeted not too long ago, and it was completely ratioed, and Michael Saylor jumped in, and I'm sure you guys remember what I'm talking about. What was scary about that tweet was they could fork it. They could fork it. They could fork it and they could make their own proof of stake, Bitcoin, shitcoin. But that's not what they were saying. What they were saying is we want government coercion to force people to use our proof of stake uh, shitcoin. Now, what the World Economic Forum and a lot of well, a lot of these governments miss un- underestimate, and I think they keep underestimating, is that a lot of us. I know Phil feels this way. I feel this way. I know BJ uh, BJ feels this way because of what he experienced. What they don't understand is that we refuse to go back to a system on which they can debase 
and they could confiscate at their own will. We refuse to go back to that system. And the more we grow our numbers, the harder it will be for them, which is exactly why they are reacting the way they're reacting. They are reacting in fear. They're reacting because they're scared. They're losing control. They're losing the levers of power which they once had, once, uh, which they, they got to enjoy for so long. And that's why you see these social attacks escalating the way they are. And they will continue to do so. This is just, this is like the first inning of this, right? So anyways, those are my thoughts. So to add to, to add to what Nico said, not only are the, is the, is the network, uh, the, the, the ability to influence the network the same between Michael Saylor and the pleb with 0.1 Bitcoin, but their values are aligned. And I think that's also a huge, a huge force um, not only for good for the world, but also um, in in aligning uh, uh, Bitcoiners and and society. And then, as far as proof of stake goes, yeah, we've got some shining examples in Nigeria. We've got some shining examples in Turkey, Sri Lanka, Venezuela, Argentina, and the list goes on and on and on. Great points, man, Phil. Um, we only got a, a few minutes left. Do you want to carry us home? What are your last final thoughts? I will do my best. It's kind of it's kind of tough to follow up after Nico sometimes, you know. So, but uh, but look, at the end of the day, right? Right now, we're seeing a bunch of assertions about proof of stake, quote unquote, being not as environmentally impactful and stuff like that. But the real question is this: the amount of energy that we're wasting on these. Uh, on these systems, which are just inferior. Why? Uh, I think that this is one of the things that a lot of people end up missing is why don't we just simply direct that energy to something that is much better quality and proof of work has proven that it is better quality. I mean, don't get me wrong, but before proof of work, we weren't talking about flared gas innovation or anything like that. We weren't talking about stranded energy. Shitcoins don't make you talk about stranded energy. Shitcoins don't make you think of actual solutions. Every single thing is, oh, you know what? Uh, you want to pay tickets? Let's put that on the blockchain. Oh, you know what? Uh, you want to go and do some city planning and, and put in bids for, for projects? Boom, let's put it on the blockchain. It's not, it's not innovation. This is garbage. It's literally rehashing the exact same thing. Bitcoin is, proof of work is the innovation and Bitcoin is that material representation of that innovation that is the result of it the value capture that's what bitcoin does and in proof of stake there is no value capture or let me rephrase that there is a very small amount of value capture that goes directly to the top of the pyramid right and that is our current system which is the money spigot but in their case it's the token spigot Right where all of a sudden they just create value for themselves out of absolutely nothing. So yeah, I, I just think look, proof of stake definitely fails, and the fantastic thing about it is, is that every single person who champions it immediately becomes an enemy of personal freedom. 
Like it's it's fantastic. Oh, you you champion proof of stake. You you like shit coins? Great. Now I know that you can't be trusted, and you're not thinking of this in the broader vision. Thank you for playing. <laughs> Great. You guys, we're at the top of the hour. Um, Nico, Phil, <laughs> tell us, tell people where they can find your work, man, because I think it's important that people follow you guys and listen to the signal that you guys provide. Where can they find you? For to keep up with the pure pledge signal, we're, we're always going to give you. We're always going to go a little against uh, the Bitcoin mainstream. Definitely uh, follow uh, Simply Bitcoin on Twitter. Simply Bitcoin TV. That's the handle. And uh, you could find us on YouTube, Rumble, and uh, Bitcoin TV. Uh, just search simply Bitcoin, and you know we'll be the first result to pop pop up. Uh, we do a premiere. It's kind of like a, it's basically a live show every day at twelve forty five Eastern Standard Time. Um, so yeah, that's how to keep up with us. Uh, Swan Bitcoin Mag, you guys are awesome. We're very big fans. Thank you so much for. Uh, hosting this show uh we really really appreciate it we had a awesome awesome time yeah this is uh, cafe bitcoin i want to thank our co-host bitcoin magazine um go check out bitcoin magazine they put out the best content in bitcoin uh top of uh, the best news and so many great authors that contribute to bitcoin mag so go check out if you just want to learn about bitcoin um you know if i could summarize this conversation um i love the quote coercion is less powerful than incentives and in times where the price action is moving sideways this is your time to stack this is your time to learn to inter to work with the bitcoin protocol you know, go learn about it go go use a hardware wallet go go coin join some coins like interact with the bitcoin protocol and this is your time to learn and uh, we just appreciate you guys listening in today and this is cafe bitcoin every morning we talk bitcoin and we bring up some great minds and some great thinkers in the space. Um, come hang out with us tomorrow and check us out on the podcast if you can't catch the show live. All right, guys. Well, you guys have a great day. Keep doing your thing. Appreciate Nico. Appreciate Phil coming on. And cheers. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> <laughs>